0: mere lock. He was asleep last week when police opened the door and say he pointed a gun at them. Following his death, Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry on Friday announced a ban on almost all no-knock wars except for certain cases involving imminent danger. Joining us right now is the President of the Urban League of Minnesota, Steve Belton. Good morning Steve Belton, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning Freddie Bell, good to be with you, thanks for
0: having me. It's our pleasure. In November of 2020, Mayor Fry and then-Chief Madeira Arredondo restricted the use of no-knock warrants, and it required police to identify themselves uh, themselves as police executing a search warrant before entering a home, regardless of a judge's permission to enter unannounced. Is a no-knock warrant, in the wake of what we've seen here in the last several days, is that the answer? No, I think it's the question. I think it's the question of why we're using
1: no-knock warrants. In the first place, the mayor uh, and other uh, public officials have engaged in a campaign of double talk uh, ever since uh, Mayor Locke was uh, killed last week. And the double talk has been around, you know, what constitutes a no knock warrant and whether there's a difference between actually applying and executing the warrants. The fact is that they told us Mayor Fry ran for re-election in part on the basis of saying they had eliminated no-knock warrants. He said at the time that no-knock warrants uh, were banned except in exigent circumstances. Exigent is just a fancy word meaning emergency or unusual circumstances, and they use the example of a hostage situation. Well, Amir Locke uh, was not killed in a hostage c- circumstance. He was not killed in an exigent circumstance. He was killed in actually nine seconds, which also begs the question, Freddie: What constitutes announcing or telling people that the police are present? You know, there's a racialized component to that as well. You know, when they say police are here, white people or some people may hear that as simply saying, oh, okay, well, we've got order. We've got authority. It's going to be okay." You announce and you come to I guarantee you come to my house before seven o'clock in the morning uh, when I'm still asleep, laying down in my bed and you announce police, the last thing in my mind is going to be that that's help. I'm going to think that I'm under siege, that I'm in danger, that I have hostile forces in my presence, and that I may die. And that is exactly what happened to a man lock, simply announcing that the police are present was not enough. They gave this man no time to react. They didn't tell him to drop his gun. They didn't warn him and say, if you don't, there will be circumstances. They just came in. You may recall when you were growing up, some adult, maybe your parents said, I know my mother just said, Boy, you got a made up mind. Or when I did something bad, said, You had a made up mind to do that. Seemed to me like Officer Mark Hanneman had a made up mind that he was going to kill somebody that day, and that's what happened. So we need to ban entirely. We need to take out this double talk about accepted emergency, unusual, or exigent circumstances, and simply ban the Minneapolis Police Department, St. Paul Police Department and all these other departments from doing no-knock
0: warrants. Everyone, we're talking with the president of the Urban League of Minnesota, Steve Belton. He's uh, obliged us this morning in talking about the shooting of Amir Locke. So, you know, I'm listening to you, Steve, and I'm thinking, uh, when are black folks not suspects? Yeah,
1: (laughs) you're raising a question for the ages. I hope you didn't think that I was wise enough at 7 o'clock in the morning to answer that question. 7.13, yes. Yeah, 7.13, we are always suspects. We are suspects by virtue of the melanin in our skin. The fact that we are black makes us suspects. And they announced to the media in the aftermath of... Uh, killing a mere lot that he was a suspect when in fact he was not he was not legally a suspect he was not named on the warrant that they were executing uh he was a bystander and a victim and to call this man a suspect repeatedly in the immediate aftermath was nothing more than the classic playbook of where the police and the elected officials and authorities attempt to demonize uh, the victim try to dehumanize that person try to suggest that this person was deserving of what they got that they had caused what they had done and that the police were acting righteously or illegally when in fact they were not mm-hmm. uh this calls for i know there have been a lot of people in the community myself included who have called for the firing of officer mark Hanneman, but it can't stop there officer hanneman did not operate in a vacuum he was not some cowboy rogue he was operating as part of a system a white supremacist racist system that demonizes black people and goes back to your question that sees us all as suspects simply because of the color of our skin simply showing up black and sleeping on your couch we can add sleeping while black Mm. to the long list of things that black people have to be wary of that we have to train our sons and daughters about that we have to have this gallows humor among ourselves to say that you can be killed for sleeping while being black. Breonna Taylor understood that, and you would think that we would have learned, that this community would have learned. You know, afraid. I'm disappointed most of all. I'm angry about the betrayal of public trust that happened um, because we were assured by this mayor and by this administration that no knock warrants would cease after George Floyd was killed. We, that was part of the announcement. That was part of the scramble to begin to address police reform. We are assured by that. And now we understand that that simply wasn't the case. And I don't believe that we can any longer trust um, the Minneapolis Police Department to, or the administration, mm-hmm. uh, the mayor's administration,
0: to do what they say they're going to do, to do what's right. You point up an interesting point. I saw a sign during one of the demonstrations over the weekend, and it said, Fry lied, Amir Locke died. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Writer Myron Metcalf, and I'll let you respond to that. Myron Metcalf of the Star Tribune says that there are two sides to a story, quoting him, but one side keeps killing black people, close quote. How do you respond?
1: Well, (laughs) with all deference to uh, the writer, I'd say that there are not just one side, there are multiple sides. And you've already seen it happen. Every time this thing happens, it's not just the victim in the family, and our hearts go out to them. My heart bleeds and mourns for Locke's family, for his parents, for his friends and loved ones. But it is also the multiple stories, the multiple narratives that it activates in our own community. We are re-traumatized by these events, Freddie Bell. We feel them. We live them. We may not personally know them, but we do personally know them. I was alarmed and, and, and disheartened to see that a good friend of mine, someone who's a professional advisor, somebody who's been... Uh, who's a uh, personality on Radio, on uh, Camel J. Radio, Nika Constantino. Yes. Uh, this, was, this was her cousin. I mean, we're all, you know, less than three or four degrees separation from these events, so it's not just a single story or a single narrative. It is multiple narratives, and it is a narrative of distrust, but also a betrayal of trust that so we cannot feel comfortable in our own homes. There is a justifiable concern in our Community And by community, I mean Twin Cities-wide community, about the uptick in violence, about the sustained violent behavior, including carjackings that's concerning in this community. But carjackings didn't get to be an issue until they started happening on 50th in France, but happening in wealthier, well-to-do communities. We live with the reality that no matter where you live, and Amir Locke was in a fairly upscale apartment building, no matter where you live, if you are black, you are not secure. And that is our narrative. That's our story. And this has to end. We have to demand accountability, transparency, and change, and we have to oversee it. And frankly, Freddie Bell, I am of the view now that the Minneapolis Police Department simply will not reform itself, and we cannot rely on government uh, to assure that happening, at least on our municipal government. And so we need to invite into this uh, federal oversight of the Minneapolis Police
0: Department. Well, that's Steve Belton with this final question this morning, and I want to bring it home to your family itself. You you just happened to be married to the first black mayor of Minneapolis. Steve, talk about the anguish that a mayor goes through, the anguish that I'm sure that Sharon Sales Belton is going through, the anguish that Steve Belton and Sharon are going through this morning.
1: Well, I, I can't. do won't speak for my wife's. Uh, you know, she's a, she is a strong black woman who is happy to speak for herself, so I invite you to invite her back to your <laughs> show. But I can not tell you that as parents uh, of two black uh, young men, you know, who are young adults now, who have you know, moved out of Minneapolis, where one's living in uh, Oakland and the other in New York City, uh, we worry about them every day. We're concerned about them every day. The Bible says, uh, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication. Lift up your prayers to the Lord, um, who will hear them. And so we pray constantly uh, for our young men, but not just our young men and our sons and our daughter and our nieces and nephews and cousins, but for black people writ large. We are concerned about the state of our country, which executes so regularly and so easily and so unapologetically young black men without cause. And so we're concerned about this. And what it causes, it turns our prayers into action, into behavior, into leaning in on this issue and pressing forward, into not relenting until we see real and genuine change. We need oversight of the Minneapolis Police Department. And we need uh cut prosecution. We need these officers to resign, not just Officer Hyanneman, who killed this young man, but the supervisors who were on site and the others, including the police administration, who allowed this to happen.
0: That's Steve Belton, the president of the Urban League, father, minister, and a consoler. Thank you so much for being with us this morning, sir.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Be blessed today.
0: You too. 21 minutes past the hour of 7 o'clock. Riveting conversation with Steve Belton.